0: Well, welcome back, everybody. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. I'm your co-host, Jack Heald. We are pleased to have you here. Um, Good things have been happening on this podcast week after week after week after week. Really interesting guests, fun people to talk to. And we've got a guy this week that, for some reason, I have been following on Twitter. I don't actually know why you ended up being my follow list, Nick. But from your Twitter feed, I would not have guessed that you'd be a physician. I would have guessed you were possibly a, I don't know, like a Navy SEAL or a counterterrorism <laughs> expert, or uh, I could go on and on. So Nick Grinder is here with us today. <laughs>
1: well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the compliments there. And I will say that. I am nothing like any of that that you mentioned. Um, I do not, I did not serve in the military. I do not consider myself to be any amount of a, uh, you know, a tough guy. I, you know, I just, I'm glad to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I do, you know, I do enjoy some, some things, uh, you know, I, I, I train a certain way, you know, I, I have strong opinions about certain things, but I appreciate the compliments. Thank you much.
0: He has strong opinions, Phil set us up here. Tell us about why you invited this Nick Grainer guy onto the show. And uh, and then let's have fun. Let's do what we do.
2: Sure thing. And, uh, you know, I have certainly been following Nick for a while on social media as well. And we've had a chance to uh, talk on a number of occasions. Um, and the reason you follow him is because um, as much as I consider myself a Rebel MD, and uh, many of the other physicians I interact with are Rebel MDs. Uh, I would say Nick is the rebel among the rebels, and uh, Nick uh, has certainly never been afraid to uh, speak his mind and uh, always entertaining uh, and has some great thoughts around health. And so that's why we had him on, and excited to uh, dig into it with him today.
0: Okay, so, Nick, why does rebel MD think you are a rebel among rebels?
1: So are we talking about life in general or are we talking about healthcare?
0: Hey, he's the one who described you that way, not (laughs) me, but I do think we're talking healthcare. Yeah. I think it
1: applies to both. I think uh, the attitude that
2: you bring to life is the attitude that you bring to healthcare and uh, it, uh, it
1: shows through. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll say this. My general, mentality and I guess maybe worldview is, um, you know, I was raised in in a way that my life was mine to fix or that people's lives are theirs to fix. Right. And that's, and I believe that's certainly the case in some instances in healthcare. Now, obviously there are situations where people need to rely on skilled physicians, skilled surgeons, like the good Dr. Phil here. Correct but i think if we're talking about lifestyle things nutrition exercise mindset light environment and you know hopefully we get into that i think that a lot of this falls on us as individuals and there's this this attitude that to me it's if anything gets under my skin is just this this something for nothing attitude where Um, and and again, if we're talking about healthcare, it's, it's people, they go see their, their, their healthcare providers and they want their providers to give them any, everything that they need and maybe not understand that they have to go home and do their part. Hmm. So I, I think more than anything, that's, that's where I come from, at least,
0: at least in that aspect. So you're not a coddler.
1: No, not one bit. And I'll tell you this, I'll say this real, real quickly here. Um, There are enough of healthcare providers like that, right? There, there are plenty of healthcare providers that will tell their people, they'll beat around the bush, they'll tell them that things, you know, they'll it's not it's not your fault, and sometimes things aren't aren't their fault, right? I'm not I'm not saying that that's not the case, but that's not me, you know. And and it's easy to find healthcare providers out there like that. I'm just not one of them.
0: Okay, so what kind of medicine do you practice? Let's let's lay down the the just give us give us a background here.
1: So basically what we I've been in practice for about 15 years and what we do, I could describe it's basically um the direct primary care and regenerative medicine. I have nine staff including nurse practitioners RNs. And basically what what depending on the person the situation they'll see whoever, right? So the people that I see mostly I'm doing lifestyle things with them. Some people are seeing my nurse practitioners, some people are coming in after they met with me, RNP, they're being passed off to our nurses. So my role is more of, of that, you know, lifestyle, direct primary role care. And then we offer these other services, which I, I call regenerative medicine. Um, that in a nutshell is what we do.
0: Okay, define, I've heard of regenerative farming, and I've heard of regenerative uh, breaking, but I'm not sure I know what regenerative medicine is.
1: So some of the things that we offer, and again, depending on the person, this could be considered to be niche, right? So we do things like um, we do stem cell therapy. We do prolozone therapy, uh, injections. We do major auto with UBI, which is basically IV ozone. Um, we do NAD. We do high, high dose ascorbic acid, things like that. Um, depending on the case, depending on the person, if it's indicated, if it's safe, then we do things like that. We, we see, besides the typical person that we would see with maybe metabolic disease, things like that, we see a lot of people that have like, you know, these, we see a lot of Lyme disease, for example, a ton of Lyme disease. Um, these people respond very well to things like major autohemotherapy, hemotherapy UBI. Um, so that part of the practice is what I would consider regenerative medicine.
0: Phil, and- um, I'm in the deep end now. Could I tag you in here? Sure thing. And
2: uh, we're uh, going to ask Nick to step back a little bit and talk about his background, you know, his training and kind of what led you uh, to uh, this, uh, you know, to this place, Uh, because, you know, you've certainly branched out into a number of areas that are not typical Uh, and, uh, so why don't you give us a little bit of the backstory, um, how you, you know, just kind of how you got trained and then how you started getting into some of these, uh, other areas of therapy.
1: Sure. So the, the short version of how I kind of got into what I did was my mother, um, suffered with some, some illness early in her forties and long story short with that, you know, she was on the medical merry-go-round, nothing worked. Until she met this guy who was considered, he was a lifestyle guy that was considered to be the quack, right? The only guy pretty much in her neck of the woods that was talking about lifestyle. And through working with this gentleman who now has since passed, she had gotten really, really good results. So when I went back to school, I was 26. I went to school in Atlanta, Georgia. I was down there for six years. And in my training, I stumbled upon two people specifically. And I say this all the time. The two doctors that I I started following and reading and 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 I even visited the one gentleman's clinic. One doctor's name is Nicholas Gonzalez. Gonzalez, excuse me. He was out of New York State. He has his past. The other gentleman whose name is Tom Lodi. He's a physician out of Mesa, Arizona. Now, both these guys, their their both of their specialties were were more so cancer. But with some of these regenerative therapies, some of the ones that I had mentioned, Now, of course, they were doing things like chemo, IPT, and things like that, right? Insulin, insulin potentiated chemotherapy and things like that. But what, what I found interesting was that there was, a, in, in my opinion, a very big need for these things. So I decided when I, my, at the time, my girlfriend, who's now my wife we decided that this is the type of clinic that we want to have, but we're going to have to have the right team, the right staff, and the right training for it. So that's what we spent a lot of our time on. I tell people all the time, you know, the things that I learned, you know, I, I, I was in school from, I don't know, just, I was 18, 19 years old. I got out at 32. And, and you know, most of that time was learning how to pass boards and OSCEs, right? Um, I think the the, the stuff that well, that taught, that teaches us or teaches people how to be good clinicians is what you do in practice and learning from others. Um, and even for you doc too, you know, reading your stuff, it's a really amazing to me. I was talking to my mother on, we were on vacation last week and I was going through all the stuff and bringing up a bunch of things that you talk about. And she was like, why don't all doctors know this? I'm like, well, does, does anybody know everything? You know, nobody knows everything. Right. So anyway, that's where we decided to do that. And we Had to bring the right people in, you know. So, even me, myself, went outside, got a couple of diplomates, um, and just learned more lifestyle, more nutrition. And then along the way, you run into people like you, Doc. You run into people a lot of these people that I follow on Twitter, Tro, you know, Jay Montgomery, you know, and 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 you pick a lot, you know, from from each one of you, or you pick some things from each one of you, you know, um, and then you kind of put all this together and you are. More or less able to deliver quality healthcare, I guess more or less. But um, yeah, the regenerative medicine stuff uh, we we learned from those two doctors mostly specifically.
2: And you know, talk a little bit about you know as you're kind of you know building up this skill set and and you know looking into some of these things. Um, you know, obviously the 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 criticism of a lot of the therapies that you use and, you know, a lot of other people use, you know, they're labeled as alternative medicine and, and, you know, quackery and all this, but clearly there are a lot of people that benefit from these things. And, you know, how do you decide, um, you know, what, what are the therapies that you want to be offering, you know, your patients? And, you know, I'm sure there are some things you look at and you say, no, this isn't, you know, if this doesn't make sense, or this isn't useful, and we're not going to incorporate it. Uh, and I'd love to learn a little bit about your mindset as you approach that problem.
1: Sure. Well, just like everything else, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, any, everybody that comes in, they get an examination, we take a history, they get an examination. Um, and even with some of these oxidative therapies, so for example, high dose of ascorbic acid, and major autohemotherapy is their oxidative therapies, and they require us to do labs. And one of the ones that we have to do with these therapies is G6 PD. And um, because typically what happens if people come low and there's, there's usually a demographic that has low G6 PD, but with oxidative therapies in general, if there is low g low G6 PD, there's potential for hemorrhaging. So we always do something like that. So I say all that to say that we take the right precautions to make sure that these people are, are, they're going to be safe if they do it. That's the first thing. Um, The second thing is: Are these therapies are they indicated for what's going on with them? So, like I said, my 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 role more or less is talking with these people and passing them who they need to be passed to if they need to be passed off. Like I said, nurse practitioner or some other provider in my clinic. Um, and then, for example, okay, so I'll say this: For example, Lyme disease. So we see a ton of Lyme. We have a, a, a waiting list for for our Lyme patients. And if there is a such thing. As a magic bullet for Lyme disease. If there is, in my opinion, it's major auto hemotherapy with UBI. We've had people that okay. were brought in
0: time out, time out. Yep. You're talking to a nautical professional here. Yep. So explain.
1: <laughs> so major autohemotherapy is just the long verbiage for ozone therapy. O three. Okay. IV ozone. Right, So we have an ozone gener- generator in a clinic and we, depending on the dose, we draw the ozone into a syringe and we introduce it into sterile water, right? And then it's dripped into the patient, right? Interesting. And, and then what happens is with the UBI, the ultraviolet blood irradiation, it passes through the UBI machine as another step of blood cleaning. And then it goes back into the patient.
0: So um, you're taking the blood out. I'm talking about the UBI. The blood comes out. It goes through this ultraviolet blood. It's exposed to ultraviolet light, which has a cleansing effect. And then it's just put back in the body.
1: The ozonated blood goes through the UBI machine, comes back in. So we draw the blood through a 60cc syringe, and then we put it in the bag and it's dripped back through the UBI machine back into the patient. So that is MAH or major auto hemotherapy,
0: right? Thank Thank you.
1: Yeah, sure. No problem at all. Um, there are but,
0: people who listen to this who are not medical professionals.
1: Sure, sure. And I like, represent
0: I, all the dummies.
1: Well, you know, listen. Here's the thing about this. <laughs> you know, there. I, I don't know. I, there are very few clinics, and I'm not saying this boast to them. I'm saying this truthfully. There are very few clinics in the United States that do MAH. Very few, and maybe a dozen. Right? I could be wrong. I mean, there, but there isn't. There aren't many.
0: There are um, already people going. How do I get a hold of this guide? And I'm telling you, folks. All the contact information will be available in the show notes, and we'll talk about it. We're not going to do that right now, but carry.
1: But on. like so, yeah, and like I said, it's very you know we typically see a lot of people um, with with Lyme, and that's our pretty much their go to for Lyme. And then I'm talking about chronic Lyme, right? M- mostly now. My wife, about a month ago, six weeks ago, she was bit by a tick. We were out to eat one night. And she comes back to the table from the restroom. She's like, Nick, look, look at this. I'm looking. And I'm like, oh, did you have a tick on you? I mean, you saw the rash, right? And um, the very next day, was, it was I even put the pictures on Twitter of the back of her. It was right on the back of her knee. So what do we do? She she was put on doxycycline, right? She was put on, on, on that because we want – and I think that that's a very good idea if you know that it happened quickly or that it happened recently, right? But a lot of these people that we're seeing, it's, we're talking years and years. So chronic Lyme, we see a lot of that. So, um, but then some of these other things that we do too, and like I said, this is, I, I don't, niche might not be the right word because we see so many people with these things, but it's usually people with these conditions, right? So we're just, if somebody comes in there to take type two diabetic, we're not putting them on ozone, right? We're talking about their lifestyle. Um, but some of the other things like high dose of ascorbic acid, I'll tell you what, you know, even with COVID, at the height of COVID, we we're having 30 calls a day and people that were, you know, they were, they had mild symptoms, they had moderate symptoms, some were, you know, their, their pulse ox was in the, in the mid eighties, you know, um, we saw a lot of these people, you know, and a lot of these things that we were doing, you know, people were turning their nose up at us, but I tell people all the time, listen, at the end of the day, we were keeping people out of the hospital, right? We were keeping people out of the hospital. That's the bottom line.
0: That's what it's about.
1: That's what it's about. I mean, because, you know, prior to 2020, everybody knew that you were allowed to get sick, right? Um, but something happened after that. But anyway, so with some of these other things that we this do. This is why
0: I follow him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that, I'll just, I won't get any more than that. But uh, so so these other things too, like, for example, high dose ascorbic acid, you know, we do see a lot, a lot, of, a lot of oncologists contact us. And they say, you know, I have this patient with this type of cancer. Um, we had an oncologist just set to somebody yesterday with lung cancer, young girl, 46 years old, my age with lung cancer. We co-manage a lot of these people, right? Um, high dose of ascorbic acid, a lot of these people's indicated for some of these things. Um, so we work with that. Um, me personally, you know, when I was, I'm assuming that I had COVID, I didn't test myself at the beginning of this year, um, I think it was like January 2nd. I started having these symptoms. My my taste and smell went away. That was on a Saturday. I was in my clinic first thing on Monday morning, hooked up to NAD, ascorbic acid. And I had my my taste and smell back in three hours. Wow. And then two days later, I was symptom free. So...
0: Can you give yourself your own IV?
1: No, 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 no. My nurses do that. My nurses, yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted
0: to see how impressed I should be.
1: (laughs) No, 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 nothing like that. So, but, But the thing is too, it's like, you know, that was about the time too, I think like right when Joe Rogan said, you know, I did all these things, you know, I went and had NAD done. I had ivermectin and all this stuff. Well, we do that, you know, we do that type of stuff. So I take advantage of that. You know, when my wife had that tick bite, not only did she take doxycycline, but she hooked the nurses hooked her up. She did 11 days in a row of ozone and so far so good, you know? So I think doc to your question, you know, all these things that we do, it's not unlike anything else. You know, we make sure that we we take a good history, we do a good we do a good physical, and that this and, and what these if if it's safe and effective for them and if it's indicated. Like I was I was just saying a moment ago, you know, we don't do that for everybody. Somebody comes in with auto, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you know, if their lifestyle needs to be cleaned up, we talk about lifestyle. So
2: yeah, and I think that's a uh, you know great point, and and really I wish one that uh, you know more uh, healthcare practitioners thought about is that you know there is no one right treatment for everyone. There are, you know things have to be tailored. We have to be uh, thinking about it, and this is where you know we we can't get too much into this cookbook medicine, you know. Uh, medicine is an art uh, more than it is a science, mm. and we've we've Amen. very much lost that narrative. And uh, you know, I think the approach that you bring to it is uh, is one that we we need for more of the healthcare practitioners around us. Um, the uh, you know, and, and you know, so uh, Lyme is such an interesting. Uh, you know, sort of topic. And, uh, you know, we should mention that your practice is in Western Pennsylvania, which is a hotbed of uh, wow. Lyme activity. Uh, so obviously, you you see a lot of it, it is, you know, endemic there. Uh, yes. But it's a disease that really, you know, it, when it gets into the chronic phase, like you said, the, the medical system just throws its hands up, you know, a lot of times, We refuse to even acknowledge that, you know, there are doctors out there who debate that chronic Lyme even exists. Um, And then we really just say, well, you know, we we don't know what to do with it, Uh, you know, kind of good luck with that. Uh, So, you know, to hear the different approaches that you're taking and the successes that you're seeing with your patients, uh, most importantly, I think is, uh, you know, is a great step forward.
1: Well, to, to that, even doc, the, the, what you mentioned, the, the confirmation is, is, you know, you have these tests, I mean, I spot people like I spot, you know, people, I guess maybe in the Lyme circles, there's a guy, um, kind of in my neck of the woods and hermitage PA, you know, he's considered to be the Lyme specialist in the area. Well, you know. He a lot of these people like I spot as confirmation. You know, Western blot, Eliza, I spot, People like looking at these tests. I think they're all, for the most part, useless. Depending on the stage, right? Because the nature of Lyme, you know, it can change stages and it can hide from this or that. I mean, honestly, there's there's a there's a specific test that that is, is not inexpensive. That, in my opinion is probably one of the best ones that you can get to confirm that you have it and to also confirm that you're improving objectively, right? Subjectively, you can have symptom improvement you can feel better. Objectively, this test, and again, in my opinion, and uh, for some odd reason always slips in my mind, the name of it, um, what it is, but it, you know, I'll be honest with you. We don't, we don't really recommend it all that often because it costs, costs a couple thousand dollars. I don't sell it in my clinic People have to mail out for it. They pay for it. I have no affiliation with it. Um, but in my opinion, it's probably the best, again, for confirmation of Lyme and for confirmation that you are getting better from it. Um, but otherwise, like I said, we have people coming in with these unexplained symptoms and they're in wheelchairs and they're bedridden. And then, you know, it's, it's like in two weeks, some, some, some cases, they're, they're, they're like a different person. Um, but like you said, you know, around here, Lyme is a big deal. It's a big, big deal
0: that leads to a question that I'm going to sound like the attorney I'm leading the witness here, but I have a feeling that I'm really going to be glad I asked this question (laughs) in your opinion, based on your experience, what's wrong with healthcare? Oh boy. So I I think the, the,
1: when I had mentioned kind of my, my worldview and my mentality about, you know people call it pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps type a situation. So let me let me say it like this. People will ask me and I know the good doctor has has had this question too. People will say things like how do you change healthcare or we need to reform healthcare we need to and to me that's when I hear that where my brain goes is, is here. Here's where my brain goes. My brain goes what you're really asking me is how do we improve health outcomes? because isn't that the goal mm. right i don't know what changing healthcare means unless you're talking about improving health outcomes so if we have half the population that's obese how you change that is by making that number less than 50% right mm. that is improving health outcomes so if you go to 50% obesity rates down to 35 that is that is improving health outcomes so for me that's what, when I, when I say, or when I'm talking to somebody that says we need to change or what's wrong with healthcare, I'm thinking to myself, okay, how do we make these trends that are going in such an awful direction? How do we make them go the other way, right? How do we improve on that? And I think there are lots of different things we can do to improve on it. But I think, honestly, the mindset is is very, very important, right? I mean, you can make a good argument or people can make a good argument about the cost of certain drugs, Right. Why is insulin cheaper here than it is over here? I I get it. I get that totally. You know what I mean? Um, You know, to the pharmacies that we were dealing with for ivermectin through, through uh, COVID, I mean, they were, they were changing their costs left and right. And we were searching for other pharmacies and things like that. So I get that part of it, right. Cost of drugs, things like that. But if we're talking about this person is an obese type two diabetic And you're having a conversation with them with, with love, of course, right? I'm not, look, you guys have been following me on Twitter long enough. You probably understand my mentality, but look, I'm a nice guy. I love people. I love people. And with love, you can tell these people, Hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is how we can move forward to fix. I'll take you under my wing. I got your back and let's do this together. Right. But the idea that healthcare is an entity, right? Like it's over here, right? Like, Oh, well, we have to grab this thing that's over here and fix it that's that. I don't think that that's the case. Right. Um, so, so I you're think saying
0: the problem is the problem is the question, right? The problem is not the healthcare system. The problem is what is the health? What are you focusing on when you ask about the healthcare system? And it's like, what you're saying is what is not being focused on is the outcome. Period. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think we would be quite I don't think we'd be having this argument in this country for the last 30 years about the healthcare system if we were actually getting the kind of outcomes that they want. And I'm going to back out again because I'm the non-ex. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, no, I
2: I would certainly agree with that, you know, and, and more so what I would even say is, you know. The individual outcomes uh, is what we have, you know, really lost focus on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, getting back to treating people instead of treating the system uh, is, uh, you know, where and a question like, you know, why is insulin so expensive? Um, what we really should be asking is why are so many people on insulin? Right. You know? uh, and, and are we even using it, you know, to treat the right thing? Um, and again, you know, why, you know, why do so many people need insulin? That that's really the question we should be asking. And how do we get better outcomes related to that? Absolutely.
1: And you know what, too, like, for example, we were down Doc. we were down in Florida last week, right? Beautiful weather. I I came home with about 45, uh, mosquito bites on my ankles. But uh, besides that, you know, we fished a lot. We were at the beach, it was a blast, man. But um I we were down on the beach one day and I saw this family and I saw a little boy wearing an insulin pump. Oh. And he and he went down into the into the water and I went over to his parents and introduced myself and I said, Hey, can I do you mind if I ask? You know, just tell me if you want me to get away, just say say get out of here. And um, they told me his their son was a type one. I said, You ever hear of Dr. Bern, Bernstein? And, um, you know, with just this doctor that does fantastic work with, you know, low carb diet, protein leveraging, low carb diets with type one diabetics. And they had never heard of, uh, never heard of them. So I wrote, I wrote it down for, or excuse me, I, I, um, I, 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 I think I went to, uh, there was a bar right on the beach. So I went to the bar, I got a napkin, I ran back down to, to them and I gave him his name, but you know, to, that's a great point doc. So if, if, if we only had to deal with type one diabetics with insulin, right. Even, even if, if they're taking a big bolus at certain situations and they can lower their insulin, you know, I don't know that type two diabetes is, you know, er, you can eradicate it. I, I think that technically you could, right. But because I believe in free will I think people will still choose regardless to eat or live a certain way. But even if you eradicate type two diabetes, like you said, I think that insulin costs would, would come way down because there's not a much of demand for. I mean, if there's such a high demand for, it, they can charge whatever they want.
0: Ow. So yeah, that people is why we had this guy on. Yeah. I love it. I, I mean, that's, that's the type of, of clear thinking, um, unambiguous articulation of the issue that helps to move all down the field. I don't mean want to mix my metaphors here, but yeah, part of the reason it's so damn expensive is the demand is skyrocketing. Right. Anybody who knows diddly about how economies work knows, Hey, if you can sell everything you can make, then you sell it for as much as you can make it for. Right. That's right. Geez, Louise. Yeah. I, yeah exactly. Do you do you mind if we go back to something you said, Phil? I would love to hear you guys talk about this. Um, and and I, I you t- you said that medicine is more art than science, and there's a truth resonating in me about that. But I don't know why? It, that just it has the feel of a of a deep fundamental truth to me would you two guys just kind of expand on that idea and and why and why that idea is so important
2: go
1: ahead
0: doc
2: yeah i mean you know so i mean we you know as nick kind of mentioned you know we go through school uh, you know, and and to become, you know, healthcare practitioners, to become doctors. And we're, you know, we're really taught to memorize information and, and pass the tests and, um, you know, and then you get out into practice, uh, and what you quickly realize is that, you know, and, and this is kind of another famous, uh, quip that you hear in medicine is patients don't read the textbooks, um, you know patients uh, don't, you know, present uh, as it's always laid out in the textbooks. And then, you know, they don't respond as it's always laid out in the textbooks. You know, you can have a classic diagnosis and the, the treatment is there in the book and you do the treatment and the patient doesn't respond the way you expect them to. And so, you know, I think what you learn as you go through, a, a, you know, a career in medicine is that, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you really got to treat the patient that's in front of you, you got to think about the patient that's in front of you. And again, you know, as we've talked about many times, um, you know, you, the the mindset that, um, you know, the first line of treatment is going to be, uh, you know, pharmaceutical based or procedure based, as opposed to, why did this happen? You know, why did this patient get this in the first place? Why did they get to this place? What has been going on in their life and what can we do uh, to address that? Uh, And, and that stuff, you know, isn't in the textbooks. Uh, I'm going to, you know, just today uh, I, I, You know, I've been having all this tightness in my hamstrings and, you know, while I've been running and I've been doing all the stretches and it hadn't been getting better. And uh, I went to see this physical therapist here uh, who has got 30 plus years of experience and, you know, uh, just, uh, again, sort of an outside the box thinker. And, you know, he said, well, the reason your hamstrings aren't getting better is because you're trying to treat your hamstrings. Mm. And it's not your hamstrings, it's, you know, your back and Mm. some flexibility stuff in my spine. And he did some things. And lo and behold, you know, within that quick uh, one hour session, you know, I went from being able to do a straight leg raise to about, you know, 25 degrees up to about, you know, 60 degrees or 65 degrees, you know. Uh, just from a little, you know, and he never touched my hamstrings. Right. So, you know, it's just it's thinking like that. And, and again, are, are you going to find that in any textbook, you know, even in the chiropractic uh, textbooks or, right. you know, what, what Nick went through in school? No, you're going to only find that from people who, you know, think about these problems in different ways and, and uh, you know, attack them in different ways. And And again, I'm sure Nick sees that all the time.
1: Well, you know, to your point, doc, what's what's interesting is we if people that come in some of the time they they need they need meds, at least temporarily, right? Some of the time some of the people come in they need meds. Fine. But almost all the time they need lifestyle intervention,
0: mm.
1: right? And I think that I think that healthcare is whatever's necessary, whatever's safe, indicated for the patient, whatever that may be. Listen, I am a big fan. Look, I, I, I personally, you know, and look, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to disclose this. I personally take metformin. I am not a diabetic. I take a baby aspirin. I don't have heart disease, right? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's there, there, there are things. You know, I, I love rapamycin. Um, I met Foreman. I, you know, I'm a fan, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan. And I think that a lot of these things, if we're talking about things that people, and I'm saying, this is me, you know, I've, I've, I've seen my, my doc, she's at my office. Right. Um, and I'm not, this is not medical advice, but what I say that is because if somebody needs medical intervention, again, at least temporarily, then then that is what it is. But almost 100% of the time we're seeing people that need lifestyle intervention. Right. Um, and if you can find somebody that can kind of mesh that together, then I think that you're onto something. Right. And and, and I think that that for, at least for me too, why I love direct primary care so much is because, you know, direct primary care is, you know, kind of this, you know, some people call it concierge medicine or membership, whatever the case may be. But for me, it's like, I think the biggest thing missing in healthcare is accountability. You know? And I'm not necessarily talking about your a spouse or a, a a parent or a sister. I'm talking about the actual provider. You know, um, if I'm sitting here telling you, Hey, listen, you can text me, you can email me. I'll, I'm going to take you under my wing. You can see me whenever this you want. When you want to see me, there, there will never be a question that goes un, unanswered. And if I don't know it, at least I know where to send you. That's going to give them, in my opinion, the, the, the best chance possible at getting better. Now there's no guarantees. I had a gal tell me years ago, she said, I wish I could hire you to come to my house and live with me to smack the bad food out of my hand and follow me around my house. And I thought to myself, yeah, but that, that ain't even necessary. You know, that's not even necessary. So um, I think, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with healthcare, at least the idea of healthcare, but I think there's a, a lot of things that you can get right if you practice the right way.
2: Yeah, I think
0: you you use the term lifestyle intervention what modes are most are the most frequent forms of lifestyle intervention that you engage in when these people come into your office you said in almost 100% of the cases lifestyle and intervention is is called for is indicated even if there's also medical intervention. So what are those, what are the types of lifestyles? I could probably guess, but I want to hear it from the doctor.
1: So I, I I would say you have obviously nutrition, right? You have how we move, you have exercise, you have your mindset, stress, managing stress, what I like to call increasing peace. I don't like to say managing stress. To me, saying managing stress is like saying managing poverty. So I say, I like to say increasing peace, right? Our light environment. Now, depending on the person like doc was evading to earlier, you know, it's, it's an art and everybody has their own individual needs. So let me give you an example. If somebody comes in let's say they have their nutrition in order, and I mean like legit in order, right? But let's say they avoid the sun, like the plague (laughs) they're on their, they're on their, their tablets, their laptops all day long they, they, they're on, you know, they're living under artificial light all day and into the evening, right? No, no blue blockers on whatever the case is. I'm going to talk to them first about their light environment. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rag about their nutrition if it's on point. Right. So I like to call those things drops in the bucket, whatever the person's biggest drop in the bucket is. That's what I'm I'm going to talk to them about most. But to your question, I think that the lifestyle things, and look, I don't, I don't even know that in this day and age, look, we're very blessed, right? You know, we, we have medication, we have antibiotics for infections. You know, we have vaccines for things that were killing people, you know, half, wiping out half of populations, you know, years and years ago. I think that these things are good, but I think from a standpoint of, of, of lifestyle stuff, we have more that we should be mind minding now than we had to do. Maybe let's say 8,200 years ago, as far as lifestyle goes. I mean, if you take some of these cultures or subcultures, like like the Hunsans or Abkhazians, right? These are these are cultures that live well over 100 years of age. And they are living in accordance with their environment, right? They're they're hunting, they're growing their own foods. If there is a lousy spring, the crop doesn't come in, they're probably fasting a lot during that time. You know, you don't probably have to talk to these people about their, their eating environment, right? But Whatever the person's individual needs is, like I said, is what we'll address first. So I'm not going to just, I'm not going to throw all of it at it. I'm not going to say, okay, well, eat this way, but here's what you do about your light environment. You got to be doing this many movements. You got to, here's what you read or what you do for your peace of mind. Whatever their biggest drop in the bucket is, is what needs to be addressed first. That's, that's how I look at it.
0: What, what's, what do you mean when you say your light environment? I've, I'm very familiar with, Hey, if you're eating crap, You need to fix that. Hey, if you're not moving, you need to fix that. But it sounds to me like there's this another facet that you address that all falls under the category of light environment. So I think more on that.
1: Yeah, maybe more specifically like our circadian biology, our circadian rhythm, our, our sleep wake cycles, our light dark cycles. Okay. More or less. So, humans, we are not nocturnal, right? And the, the, the I tell people in the simplest form, the easiest way for for me to describe this to live in accordance with humans because we are not again, we are not nocturnal beings, right? And I understand you know, if people are shift workers they can't maybe they can't control that. but just best case scenario, let's say. you wake up when the sun comes up, you go outside, you get 10, 15 minutes light exposure on your skin, you get some light in your eyes. I'm not talking about staring at the sun, right? Light days, dark nights, right? Not living underneath alien lights. So, for example, I have a light on in, in this room right now. I'm staring at a screen. I forgot to grab my blue blockers. I'm not going to stress about it. Um, But not living under what we call alien lights, right? And then if you What's do, wrong
0: with that? What? Why is that a thing?
1: So, fake lights. So, the beautiful thing about the sun is you, there's lots of good things about the sun. And we're, and just, so for everybody's listening, you know, people call me like a melanoma monger and things like that. You're telling people to go out. It's, it's, but anyway, so I have to, I always have to say this talking about safe sun exposure, right? Um, safe sun exposure. The beautiful thing about the sun is that people just think about vitamin D when it comes to the sun. It's like, well, I'm going to go get some vitamin D. The beauty of the sun goes way, way, way beyond that, right? The light spectrum Number one, your skin being exposed to the rays, the UV rays and the light spectrum. I always tell people vitamin D production is, the beauty of all that is all the things that happen along the way physiologically for you to man, for your body to manufacture vitamin D. It's not just the vitamin D because here's something else too. You can have somebody who has, let's say their blood levels are, I don't know, th- let's say 30, right? which is considered to be normal, it's way too low. You give them 10,000 international units of vitamin D a day for four months, get, get, maybe get their levels up to 50, let's say, 50, 55. All you really did was manipulate labs with supplementation, right? <sighs> so the benefits of the sun are, are what, happen inter, what happens internally to manufacture the vitamin D, and that's not, like it says the UV rays, it's the light spectrum. You're living in accordance because that's a light day. Right. It's
0: not just the outcome of the vitamin; it is the process that is beneficial.
2: Correct. Correct. Yeah. And all the all the other hormones and everything that are intermediates in that pathway and go along with it. And and um, you know exactly, it's that mindset that we can replace it in a pill. You know, and and whether it's sunlight or you know exercise, mm-hmm. people say, "Well, you know, what do I need to exercise? Why can't we?" get the benefits of exercise from a, you know, from taking a pill, you know, we know for instance, that nitric oxide levels go up when you exercise. So why don't I just take my nitric oxide? And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. The body, you know, has evolved over the millions of years that we've been in this environment. And all of a sudden within the last blip of time, you know, on the, on the scale, Um, You know, we've completely changed the environment and and that has to do with the food and the light and, uh, you know, just how we interact with our environment. Uh, You know, there have been some very fundamental changes. And to think that that's not going to have effects is really where it, you know, uh, because, yeah, you know, uh, we don't necessarily we don't want to go back to being cavemen, uh, but you know, we have to realize that there are going to be effects from these things and start thinking about how should we be mitigating those effects.
1: That's such a great point. Such a great point.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here how I, I, is it ironic or funny or something? We've had some of these bro science guys on the (laughs) podcast and of course, lots of bro science on, on Twitter. Um, all talking about, get your sunshine, get out and and get in the sun. And I know that I feel good when I get enough sun. And I know that one of the best things I can do if I'm feeling crappy is just go stand in my yard for 10 minutes and just, but to have a medical practitioner come on and say, go get in the sun. And it's, it's not just the outcome of vitamin D levels that are good it's it's the whole biological process that being in the sun uh uh stimulates catalyzes in your body that doesn't happen when you're under artificial light am i getting all of that right
1: yeah no you're exactly right here's the thing too i tell two things the first thing is i tell people the easy. if you guys you know people want like kind of like the Cliff's nose version you know i always say light days dark nights if you have to be watching TV or staring at phones and technology in the evening, put on blue blocking glasses. You can get quality pair for like nine nine dollars. You know what I mean? I don't have any affiliation or anything with that, but I tell people all the time: wear blue blockers at night. Block the artificial, block the blue light, especially at night, and have light days. Go outside. I mean, that is literally like the Cliff's nose version. But also, to even hold on,
0: hold together. on, blue blockers. Um. I, it's a light that it's a glass that blocks out a particular spectrum of light right Blue
1: blocking glasses yes
0: And the reason for that is because the artificial light is has the blue
1: a, The blue is especially harmful especially at night. So the sun has the whole light spectrum. okay So here's an example. at noon, the sun's light spectrum is what it is. Right. It just so happens to be that your your blue light or the, the spectrum of, of our of our devices, the measurement, I don't know the exact number, happens to be the same, about the as, same.
0: As noonday sun.
1: Yeah, yes. If you let's say, for example, you were to look at uh-huh. your your computer at nine o'clock at night and you're you're checking email. Our retinal cells, we have little metronomes in the cells in our eyes our body knows more or less what time it is. even without looking at the clock. So if you do that, your brain, Oh, I'm looking at a screen at nine o'clock at night. It must be noon. Your brain says it's noon. So I, I I tell people, look, you know, just put, put, throw on some blue blockers at night. You know what I mean? I have some, like I know I have some that are more casual that I wouldn't be afraid to wear out. You know, if I was going out to eat in the evening or something like that, but the ones I wear at home, man, they're, they're wild looking. Um, but even too with this whole life thing even with with our our eating right our our um the frequency of our eating or the, or the type of food do we eat you know it's it's like believe it or not our mitochondria we we are given more grace in the spring and the summertime to eat higher carbohydrates now again this depends on the situation i i wouldn't tell this to a type 2 diabetic right but we are given in fact more grace to eat more higher carbohydrates during the summer spring and summer because that's when it grows, and the days are longer, right? So what everybody does is everybody wants to get cut for the summer right? I'm gonna get I'm to get a six pack so I go to the beach. Well, you know what other animals do in this in the summertime?
0: They get fat, don't they They
1: get fat for the winter. Uh-huh. We do it backwards. So even from our our eating, our this is all all part of the circadian biology. So again, these things are addressed and like and like doctor said, you know this this all depends on the person, but I think generally speaking for it, kind of everybody get some safe sun exposure during the day, right? Go out in the morning, try to catch a sunrise, even if it's cloudy, you can still get it. And then throw on some, some blue blockers at night, really the simplest way you can do it.
0: That is probably the, the clearest explanation I've ever heard. Uh, I heard about blue blockers forever. And it, it, it always had the feel of, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, there wasn't enough of a powerful argument to make me go, yeah, I need to do that. Now I get it. Now I what, get it.
1: If you guys want to, if, if you want to read a really good book, there's the best book that I think to start off with, if you've never looked into it, was called lights out. The name of the book is called lights out. Um, well, the doctor's name is slipping my mind. I read it years ago. It's called lights out. Um, I bought the ebook, but I think it's on Amazon for like four bucks, something like that. It's like the, the best kind of like not too medical jargon explanation of all this stuff. It's really fantastic. Um, yeah, man, I'm telling you, if there's anything like, like after after a certain point, you could I mean, how much more? I mean, obviously, you can learn nuances. Like, you know, when you talk about people talk a lot about, well, low carb diets and what they do with LDL and this and that, and people want to talk, they, they, they dismiss context I mean, I don't know how much more, you know, if you've been looking at nutrition for 15, 20 years, how much more you can learn about intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding. You know, for me, this light stuff for the past probably five or six years is really what I've been digging into. It's incredible.
0: Can you give a, first of all, a personal testimony about just you as a result? Of you know, this?
1: I, honestly, I, I typically feel well, you know, and I, I sleep well. I will say this though. If I do, if I eat late, late, and I, I typically am done by 4, 4 p.m., I usually don't eat anything after 4 p.m. If I eat after, if I eat like six, past six o'clock, if I don't wear my blue blockers, um, like I was awful with that on vacation. I really was, man. Um, I, I, but we were outside in the sun all day. So, you know, that was a good thing. If I don't wear my blue blockers, I sleep awful. Um, if I eat after, if I eat past six o'clock, I, I sleep awful. But besides that, I don't have anything, you know, that maybe somebody would consider to be kind of life-changing when it comes to that
0: stuff. Well, but well, we can turn that around and and you can say, I do these things regularly. And when I don't, yes, this is these are the the symptoms that I experience. Yes. Okay. That. Yes. That's cool. I'm totally getting some blue blockers. I, I'm, just, and I, yeah, yeah. I'm convinced.
2: You know, and, and one of the things I always, you know, kind of tell people about these things is, you know. This isn't like the, you know, this is going to cure your cancer type thing. Of course. But this is the, you know, people don't realize how lousy they feel in their everyday life for the most part. And we think we're, you know, the aches and the pains and the tiredness and the stuff that's just normal aging and normal. um, You know, these are the types of things. These are the concepts that are going to help people to actually recognize how good they're supposed to feel on an everyday basis and, and, you know, how uh, you know, just how you can really, you know, optimize your life and, and uh, get the most uh, out of life uh, by, by doing some of these things. And again, it's just thinking about these concepts at high levels uh, that really is going to direct you, uh, you know, down the right path. Amen. Yeah. So, wow. and if you want more you know, uh, high level, great thinking like that, then follow this man on Twitter.
1: (laughs) Oh, I appreciate it. But listen, I learned, look, there's a lot of guys, you know, that I learned from, you know, Jack Cruz, Jay Montgomery. Um, a lot, a lot of these guys, um, the guy I I forgot, he calls himself blue light died on Twitter. I don't know his real name. Uh, there's so many, so many guys, um, and, and gals that, that are way, way above even me. I, I learned from them, but, I, l- honestly, like I said, to keep it simple, I tell people get some, get some safe sunlight during the day, block the blue light at night to keep it simple to start with. Yeah.
0: Well, that's simple enough yeah. for me to get it.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, like Jack said, uh, I think about an hour ago when we started, he said people are going to be chomping at the bit to, uh, to find out how to, uh, work with Dr. Nick, how to learn more from Dr. Nick. So, uh, Give, just tell us a little bit about where people can connect with you, and and sure. a little bit about your
1: practice. Sure. Yeah. My um, the, I, I have only social media I have is uh is Twitter. It's at ngdpc one, and um my clinic website is Griner
0: Griner Direct Primary Care One ngdpc one. Okay.
1: Yeah, you got it. And uh, my website is GrinerHealthSolutions.com. Our practice is located in Cranberry Township, PA. And um, like I said, you know, we we're we're here to we're 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 here to learn. We're here to help people. We're here to learn from our patients. And real, real quick, I want to share something with you guys, just to kind of show. I mean, this is really amazing. I had a gal about three years ago come in, who was at the time she was forty five years old, and she had RA. She had debilitating RA. And when she came in, she said to me,
0: "Is rheumatoid arthritis?"
1: Yes, sir. And she had said to me, "She said Nick, there was one time in my life for six months." that I was pain free. She said, it wasn't the drugs. It wasn't anything. She said, there's one thing that happened to me in my life. And for six months, I had no pain. I said, what happened? She said, I got stung by a bee. So I'm thinking to myself, no, I don't know. I And I'm like, okay, what's, I don't understand that mechanism. I, I have no idea. And I, I believed her. Right. So I go home that and I'm like, that's fascinating. So I go home that and I start reading literature on it. Well, it's all in the literature. It explains the mechanism. And, and and I say, here's why, here's why I say that now did I go out and get a bunch of bees and am I giving people bees things in my clinic? Of course I'm not. Why I say that is because uh-huh. I learn more. I learn more from patients than I do from anybody else. So, you know, I, 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 I'm grateful for that. And we're, you know, we're here to help people and we're here to learn as well. You know, we, we grow together more or less,
0: you know, that's, that's, uh, seems to be a fairly common theme with the healthcare practitioners that we've been that I to to interview is a uh, humility about learning from patients. Uh, I we can tell stories but we hear that kind of thing over and over and over again. This is really kind of ironic. Last week Nick, we had our guest is a woman who um g- grows her own beehives and Phil, what's the name of that therapy? She stings herself twice a day to treat something. I don't remember what, what it is. Do you remember the name of what she calls bee sting therapy?
2: Yeah, I'm trying, uh, I don't remember the uh, name for it, but yeah.
0: Well, uh, it's ironic that you would, would bring that up. Yeah, so, so, yeah,
1: yeah. You, just learn, you learn from everybody, man. It's crazy.
0: Okay, so if you have... R a go get stung no that's not what we're saying
1: yeah, all right go step one be right now yeah i'll do that
0: all right well i will remind our listeners as always contact information for dr nick griner will be available on the website uh on the the show notes um i'll probably even track down some blue blocker sunglasses to blue blocker glasses there we go that i'm going to buy and we'll just put a link on so you don't have to go search for them yourself um and i guess that's it for today <laughs> i've got Again, a million more questions. Phil, any last words before uh, I go away?
2: <laughs> no, it was a great discussion. Really, uh, anytime I get to chat with Nick uh, is a good uh, good day for me. And um, just uh, like I said, he's well worth the follow on social media. And uh, just completely uh, agree. Yeah, another great uh, the the rebel amongst rebels, as
1: I, I said. Love it. Well, the feeling right. mutual. Thanks, Doc, so much, guys.
0: Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you being here. It's good to finally meet you and understand why I'm following you. For <laughs> um, Dr. Philip Ovedi, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Hey, go ahead and subscribe so you know when we release a new show. It happens every Tuesday at midnight Pacific time, and we'll talk to you next time.